Dear Christian friends, would you want to know the time and place and circumstances around your own future death? For me, I'm not sure I could really handle that kind of information. If, for example, I were to find out that I wasn't going to die until I was 104 and in relatively decent health only to have my life ended by an accident, I really wonder what I would do with that kind of information. Would I, for example, live life for myself? Chase after the kind of activities that I enjoy? Running, traveling, snorkeling? Would I live for fun? And all the enjoyment that this world has to offer. Only to think to myself that maybe at the end of it all, that week before I finally meet my end, then I'll get serious again about God. Maybe then I'll finally get right with Him just once and for all. Or what if, on the other hand, knowing that I'm going to be dying of an age 104, what then would I do if before the age of 70 I'm already in pretty terrible health? And lying in the bed, knowing that the bills are, are racking up and the inheritance that I had intended to pass along is quickly being eaten away and feeling like a burden on my family and friends, would I really want to know that the end is nowhere in sight? Consider that for yourselves. Do you really think that it would be helpful to know those circumstances around your own future death? And it makes what Jesus did as he took his final steps all the more astounding to us because he knew what was coming. He could look ahead and know what was about to happen. He, he could have the divine foresight to know about everything that was going to happen, every plot of the enemies. He knew every crack of the whip. He knew every insult and everybody who was involved. He could look ahead according to his divine nature and through that lens see what was going to come and yet he still went through with it. It was his great love for you and me to let him take those final steps, those steps to the cross, those steps that led him to a tomb. Yes, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into as he went to Bethany, which was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This village was two miles from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, of course, was the central hub of the spiritual activity of God's people. They had the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They had the priests and the high priest. And among them were some of Jesus' fiercest enemies. Each of them for years had been trying their own way to capture Jesus in something that he would do or say. They were praying, waiting, watching, wanting Jesus to slip up somewhere 
For three years, they had tracked his steps. And they figured at some point, he just has to make a mistake. Maybe at the very least, they figured they could wait until that time where he was tired at the end of the day and he had done so much for people and yet the crowds still pressing against him, asking for more, it would finally be too overwhelming. He would finally overstep that line and say something that he shouldn't have or do something in his impatience and frustration. That maybe they could at very least rip something out of its context and discredit Jesus. Or perhaps at most, finally get some solid evidence against him to convict him of blasphemy, the punishment for which was death. There was all this plotting against Jesus and and them trailing his steps, yet there wasn't a misstep. There wasn't a single word that they could use against Jesus. And when they figured this out, they figured they couldn't finally trap him in anything. They finally decided to take him by force. And as this happened, he then decided to go to the other side of the Jordan and escape their grasp, if only for a little while, until the time was right. Then the news came. Jesus' appointment with the cross was nearing at hand. And Mary and Martha sent word, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so Jesus knew what he must do. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then he waited, which really puzzled the disciples. They figured, isn't it time to get back across the river again, Jesus? Back to our friend so that you can do something about this situation? But John shares us this insight. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Why wait two more days? So that God's son may be glorified. So that Jesus could tell his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. And so that the disciples could also respond by saying, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And finally, so that Jesus could tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus waited those two extra days, knowing full well what needed to be done for those two grieving sisters who had just lost their brother, Lazarus. He came for Martha, who would meet Jesus on the road, and she would break our Savior's heart with her words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He waited also so that he could share those powerful words with her, your brother will rise again. And so he pointed to the future resurrection. And when Martha realized Jesus was talking about judgment day, she would hear the words that we need to hear 
when we're the ones in the cemetery and we're the ones who, is, who have lost somebody important to us, when we're the ones next to that casket being lowered into the ground and we hear that pastor say those words, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust, reminding us of our own mortality as well. Those words from our Savior, we need to hear them. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. We do believe it. And we need to hear Jesus and watch him take his next steps. Martha then went back to the house and brought Mary. And Mary had the same thing on her heart. And she said the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, his heart was wrenched. And though he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, he still knew what he must do. And so he went to the tomb to that cave with a stone rolled against it. And he said, take away the stone. But Martha objected. She said, Lord, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. Now, if we had been there, we probably would have objected to this idea as well. Because you have to understand that the Jews did not embalm their dead as the Egyptians might have. And that means that the decay process, it started right away. There was no refrigerator or any way of preserving him. The best they could do was put a little oil on him and maybe some, some spices and wrap him up lovingly with care and put him in that tomb to seal it and not be opened until the decay process was well further along. It was now that fourth day since, since Lazarus had died and that decay process would have left an awful stench in the air, the kind of stench that you wouldn't soon forget. And if that stone was rolled away and you were to see what was inside, it would be like something out of a nightmare, the kind of scene that would just be seared into your mind. You wouldn't have wanted to see or smell any of this. It would have been horrible. But not for the one who is the resurrection and the life. Not for Jesus. Not for the one who would make his promise. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus needed to have his final steps take him to a tomb, a tomb that needed to be emptied. And it needed to be emptied for those two grieving sisters, it needed to be emptied for their brother Lazarus, who ever after would know that all things 
do work together for the good of God's people. That tomb needed to be emptied for the sake of Jesus' apostles, whom he would soon enough send out in his name to be his witnesses to the world. They would share his words and works with everybody. They would serve as eyewitnesses of Christ. Jesus also had to empty this tomb for you and for me, for our sakes too, so that we could be confident in Christ's promises and in his power. Yes, even power over life and death. How comforting for us that Jesus' final steps led him to a tomb. And again, we consider how Jesus' enemies were all the while watching from the sidelines and listening closely to everything that he was saying. Again, they would have been happy to twist what he was saying or to rip it out of context if necessary. They would have done anything they could have thought of to discredit Jesus and to get him out of the way. All the while, for years, they were trying their best. And they figured, sooner or later, Jesus has to slip up, right? Because after all, he's only human, right? After all, he's, he's not perfect. No one's perfect. But Jesus is. He truly is perfect. He never once slipped up, never once sinned. They couldn't get any dirt on Jesus, and this just infuriated them. Their plans were being foiled. And then, this business with Lazarus happened. They could not deny this miracle as he was now walking and talking once more, as he had been in the grave for four days. And people knew about this. This was a big deal. And again, this was also close to Jerusalem. People knew about this. And now that Jesus had raised Lazarus, the news was spreading everywhere. And people who had witnessed this, more and more were putting their hope and their trust in Jesus. Those who opposed him couldn't let this happen. They couldn't let it continue. The news about Lazarus and Jesus' victory over the grave was spreading. And what a miracle this was. For you and me, if we had been there, we certainly would have thought, this is something that only God can do. Who else can raise somebody up from the grave? Who else can command life and death in such a powerful way but our living God? But to those original people, those Jews who witnessed this, as it happened, it was perhaps something that seemed even more amazing to them. Because according to them, there was a, a, an understanding among them that when somebody died, as that body was placed into the tomb, the soul would in some way roam around a little bit, float around, trying to be reconnected with the body, looking for life once more. For three days. So they thought. And they figured that for three days that soul was just waiting and itching and desiring to be back whole again and breathing life once more, but only three days. 
after that period of time, they figured that's when God finally calls that soul once and for all to himself and that it couldn't be undone. This is recorded for us in the Jewish Talmud. And so then, can you see why Jesus may have also wanted to wait those couple of extra days and to raise Lazarus on that fourth day? It may well have been to counteract his enemies and to prove to them that neither death nor time nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. That as Jesus did this miracle, he did something that proved he has full authority over even life and death. And again, the news spread like wildfire. And as it did, it brought on that last stage that would bring him to the cross. Because his enemies were so incensed that more and more people were putting their faith into Jesus. We read what happens. John informs us and says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. We see that Jesus' final steps took him to that tomb, that tomb that needed to be emptied. And again, it needed to be emptied as proof of his power over life and death. It needed to be emptied for the benefit of Mary and Martha who would miraculously receive their brother back again. He needed to do it also so that his enemies would boil over in an insane rage to stop Jesus at all costs so that they would plot to capture him, illegally try him during the night, and then ultimately place him on Calvary's center cross as a common criminal. They did it at this exact time so that these events would advance in such a way that Jesus would end up on that cross at the exact time that God had established from the beginning of time. The, the exact time that God had established to rescue us from sin. He made sure that Jesus would end up on that cross as the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world on that particular Passover. Not some other day nearby or, or close, a day or two away. No, 
right on Passover, even on the day that his enemies had said, let's not do it at that time. Only further proving that all of this was done on God's time to fulfill his word and his purposes and to take away the sin of the world. Now again, I don't know when I'm going to die in the circumstances, and I'm glad. What I do know is that Jesus does know when, when and where and how that's all going to take place. And he knows about your coming death as well. And it was that truth that kept him on that, on that track to take one step after another closer and closer to the cross where he would die for the sins of the world and he would fulfill our redemption. Jesus' steps led him to the tomb so that his words at the beginning of his ministry would ring forever true when he said in John chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Amen.